Amen. Thank you. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1, to John chapter 1. As you turn there, let me go ahead and say we're having our discipleship groups immediately following our service night. So if you'll head to your class, they're going to spend a few moments, have a time of fellowship, uh, have, have a time where we can talk about what we're learning, what we're seeing. And so I want to encourage you uh, to go to your discipleship group class after our service uh, for a brief amount of time. Our kids are going to meet. They've got a fun time plan. Our youth are going to head over to Marco's house. And if you have a, a kid in youth, if you'll pick him up over there about 7.15. Again, we're looking forward to a good time in our discipleship groups. Uh, tonight we begin uh, the fifth message in our 100 message Series. That's pretty weird to think about. I've never heard of really a series longer than seven messages, but this is our fifth message in our 100-message series. And as I said last night, there is already a theme that is developing. There's already a theme just already in these four services that we've had, a theme that is developing, and that theme is the good news is better than we thought. Have you seen that? The good news, I thought it was good, but the good news is better than we thought. So much better, if you can believe that. It is so good, better than we even thought. You know why that is? Because Jesus is the good news. Because Jesus is the good news. And let me just tell you something tonight. The longer that we look at Jesus, the closer that we look at Jesus, he, he is so good. He is better than we thought. And let me just tell you, my goal, one of my goals is that through this 100-day effort, 100 days going to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, 100 days looking at Jesus, one of my goals is that we would be so blown away by, that we would be so enamored with, astounded by Jesus, that everything in our life would change. Our homes would change, our marriages would change, our daily lives, our priorities would change, our churches would change, that our very world would change. Did you know that can happen? That can happen. Oh, the good news is so much better than we thought. Let me tell you this. I'm going to be honest with you. I'll be honest. I was scared of what this might be like. I was scared of the time, 100 days. That's crazy. I was scared of the effort. That's a lot of sermons. I was scared of what the response might be. But let me just tell you, after four days, I'm scared that if it keeps getting any better, we won't be able to stand it. That's what I'm scared of. We might just blow up and go into orbit. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He is so good. Uh, Tonight, John marches on. The Gospel of John marches on, marches us forward. Our message tonight is entitled, The Word in Flesh. The Word in Flesh. We're in John chapter 1. We're only going to hit one verse tonight. John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to read that verse again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come tonight, we are thankful for you. We're thankful for the truth of a Savior. We're thankful for hope tonight. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sins. We're thankful that tonight as we see and we survey a a messed up world that we have peace tonight. Lord, now I pray on this Wednesday night, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you'd get our attention, that you would talk to us through your word. I pray, Lord, that our our minds will be directed, our instructed, our, our hearts will be calmed and encouraged. And I pray that the result of this hour tonight is that Jesus Christ will be exalted, would be known, and would be lifted up. Lord, we give you this hour. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When John writes this account, our fourth gospel, he is writing in response to false teaching that is taking place. That's the reason that he feels the need to write. That's the reason that God uh, compels him to write. He is writing in response to false teaching that is taking place. Now, there are several things that are brewing, but the main false teaching was the idea, was, was the thought that Jesus was God, but that he was not a man. And in that day, they, they liked the idea of Jesus being God. They were okay with Jesus being God. That was, that was fine with them. But the idea that God would be a man was too much. In fact, it was inconceivable to them. They couldn't understand that God would be a man. They were, they were, they were fine that Jesus would be God, but they didn't, they didn't like that he would be a man. And so docetists and Gnostics were teaching that Jesus was divine, but that he only appeared to be a man. That's what they were teaching. That was a popular teaching. It was a growing teaching, and it was moving into the church that that Jesus was divine. He was God, but that he only somehow appeared to be a man. He was a spirit that looked like a human. And that was a growing teaching. That was a popular teaching that was gaining ground in that day. Today, there are some that might believe that. Uh, One time I ran into a guy, and and he was here at the church, and he tried to actually convince me of that. Uh, He tried to tell me all about that. And and I would say, uh, Jesus actually physically died on the cross. And he would say, well, he appeared to die on the cross. And I'd say, well, Jesus was actually physically resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, that's a big deal. And he said, well, he appeared to be resurrected from the dead. I said, well, Jesus ate fish with his followers after the resurrection. And guess what he said? He appeared to eat fish with his disciples after the resurrection. Now, he kept talking And I appeared to be listening to him, but I no longer was. There are some that think that, but I want you to think about it. Today, for the most part, it is actually the opposite of that. I want you to think about our day. It is is mostly the opposite of that. Today, people are okay if Jesus is a man. They're fine with that. Now, they'll tell you, you know what, he was a, an example to follow. I heard a church recently, and they were talking about Jesus is a good example to follow. 
They will say, you know what, Jesus was a great teacher. Gandhi would say that. A great teacher to learn from, to listen to. They would say, you know what, Jesus is a prophet sent from God. There's, there's, whole, there's whole religions that say that. It is okay if Jesus is a man. But for the most part, many folks in the world today can't say that he is God. Well, let me tell you something crazy tonight. John is showing us in this, this, this gospel that the truth matters. And here in one verse, he's going to give us both our answers to both of those questions. Now, that's a crazy thing. Tonight, how relevant, how timely. He's going to answer their question. He's going to answer our question. He's going to tell us who Jesus is, and he's going to do it in one verse tonight. Now, let's look closely at this verse, verse 14 tonight. Now, I want to go ahead. I have to, I have to warn you. I want to tell you up front so you're not surprised. The good news is better than we can imagine. It's going to happen again tonight. The good news is better than we can even imagine. All right, let's go. Here it is, good news. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, the verse, we're going to look closely at it. It starts off and it says, and the Word, and the Word. Now remember, so far John has introduced us to the Word. Jesus is the Word. The Word is Jesus. And so so far in our gospel, he has introduced us to the Word. The Word is Jesus. Also, John has also described and defined the Word. That's what he's done. And it was an awesome thing. It was a beautiful thing. He's not only told us that the Word is Jesus, he has described and he has defined the Word. Now, remember, we're going to go through this several times. He told us he is eternal. He is God. He is co-equal with the Father. He is creator. He doesn't have a start. He is creator. He is life. He is the light of men. He is the victor. He is not overcome. And beautifully, John has described and he has defined the Word, Jesus. Then, on top of that, in our just short verses that we've looked at, John has told us what the Word does. He has told us what the Word does. Remember, he said, Jesus is life. He is the giver of spiritual life, and as life, he is the light of men, the light that dispels darkness. He is telling us he is life, and as life, he is the remedy for sin. Very simply, he has already shown us in his gospel Jesus is the Savior for sin. He takes our sin, all of it, and he pays for it on the cross of Calvary. He settles it in his death, burial, and his resurrection, and he gives us his righteousness. Jesus is the Savior for sinners. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Listen, that's good news. That is good news. Jesus is the remedy for sin. Then, John told us how the Word was received. He tells us the Word is Jesus. He defines and he describes Jesus, tells us that tremendous, those tremendous things about Him. He tells us what the Word does. He's the remedy for sin. But then, crazily, He tells us how the Word was received. And He had a poor reception. 
He came into his own and they received him not. They embraced him not. That's what the Bible says. He told us that he was not received. Then John told us, however, what happens for those who do receive him. He came into his own, many of them. Most of them didn't receive him, but some did receive him. And those that did receive him, he tells us what happens to those who receive him. He said they become children of God. They are in fellowship. Imagine that. They are in close communion with God as part of his family because of Jesus. We become, by faith in Jesus, children of God. Well, John has had a great discourse on the Word, and tonight he continues it. In this 14th verse, he goes on with it. And he says, now, and the Word, all that we know now of the Word, and the Word became flesh. I, we've only got 95 more times, and so I, I was tempted to break this into two sermons, but I'm going to try to keep moving here. And the Word became flesh. Now, I want you to be very sure that is a huge statement. That is a profound statement. I'm embarrassed as a human, as a person, to try to, to tell you the depth of this statement. I'm going to do the best that I can. That is a huge statement. Now, think about it. To the false teachers, to the false teaching of the day, he says the Word became flesh. They said Jesus is God. He's not a man. We're okay with him being a God. Well, he jumps off and says, you know what? The Word became flesh. Flesh means a human, a person, a man. And so what I understand what happens here, Jesus, who's been told to us in the previous verses, is the eternal Word. He now becomes Jesus, the incarnate Word. And so Jesus is the eternal word. He doesn't have a beginning. He's all from all eternity. Well, now he is in the flesh and he is the incarnate word. Now I want you to notice here, the verb became, became. And the word became flesh. It means the word, Jesus, God, became flesh. That's actually what it says, became a man. Now, I want you to know the, what that means, the implications of that. What that means is he did not appear as a man. It's not what it says. He did not enter into a man. There, there wasn't a man and he entered into him. He did not feel or possess a man. Some would say that Jesus was there at his baptism, and at that point the Holy Spirit came and entered into him. That's not what happens. He did not possess a man. Here's what the Word of God says. He became a man. Now, I want you to notice something there. That does not mean that he quit being God. That does not mean that he quit being co-equal with God. That doesn't mean that he quit being the creator. No, he is all of those things. He is divine. He is fully God. But now he has become a man. And so now he is fully human. And so understand, now at this point, he is fully God. Yes, he is also fully man. Now, if you want to be astonished with our Savior, if you want to be astonished 
with the word Jesus, I want you to think about tonight what happens when he does that. Listen very carefully. I want you to think about what happens when he does that. When Jesus does that, that without limitation now takes on the limitations of human skin. Do you understand that's what happens? That which was eternally outside of time is now placed squarely in time. Do you understand that? He's outside of time. He's eternally been outside of time. Now he exists in time. That which was eternally self-sufficient, relying on no one, now depends on the care of a mother and submits to the directing of an earthly father, both of whom he created. Can you imagine that? When Jesus does that, the invisible now becomes visible. When Jesus does that, the creator in humility, all the humility, now exists in his own creation. Do you understand how wild that is? The creator of all things now exists inside of his own creation. When Jesus did that, that that was knowable in the word is now knowable as the word. When Jesus does that, that that was life now has a body that can die and will surely experience the pain of death. Do you understand that? Life, the giver of life, creator of life, sustainer of life, now has a body that can experience and shortly will die. And friend, if that's not radical enough, when Jesus does that, that that had been the object of praise was now subjected to the mocking and the scorn of man. You see, tonight, understand when Jesus does that, it is in that skin that he will be scourged. It is in that skin that he will be whipped. It is in that skin that he takes on that he will be spat upon. It is in that skin that he will be stripped naked and crucified, nailed to a criminal's cross. Oh, listen to me how unthinkable that is. The word became flesh. Before I leave the point, let me ask you a question. Why would he do that? As absurd as that is, why would he do that? Stay with me. This is where our hope starts to take hold. This is where the good news starts to take shape. You see, listen very carefully. To save flesh and blood, our Savior had to be flesh and blood. You see, a benevolent God doesn't help a sin-stained race that wears skin unless he would wear that skin as well. You see, the book of Hebrews says that to redeem men, to defeat death, to be the remedy for the curse, he had to be a kinsman. He had to be a person like us. And so I want you to understand what happens when this happens, when the word takes on flesh of no need of his own, for no sin of his own, at a great cost to himself, the word takes on flesh that we might be saved. Praise the Lord. 
And the Word takes on flesh, and in that we are saved. Says this, and He dwelt among us. You ever traveled around with greatness? There's a person and they just stand out their heads and tails above everybody else. You ever travel around with greatness? Doesn't even touch this. And dwelt among us. Dwelt translates, I like this word. It's a very meaningful word. And dwelt among us. Here's what it means in the original language. And tabernacled among us. Best, most literal translation You know what the word did, Jesus? You know what Jesus did? He tabernacled among us. Let me paint that picture for you. Remember back in the Old Testament, God was in the camp. God was with the people by inhabiting the tabernacle. You remember that? You're going to build a tabernacle and you're going to use these dimensions and you're going to set it up like this and you're going to approach it in in great reverence and holiness. And God was in the camp. God was in their presence by inhabiting the tabernacle. Well, now John says, the word has become a person. The word has become a man. And that man, here's what he says, tabernacles with us. He is in the midst of us in the person of Jesus Christ. Did you know that it's a whole other sermon? In fact, it's a whole other book that John wrote. But in the book of Revelation, do you know this? While we're speaking of good news, in the end, that word shows up again. Do you know that? In the end, in the book of Revelation, it says this, and God will tabernacle with men. He will, listen, he will tabernacle with us. In the end, he will be in our midst. And the Bible says we will be his people and he will be our God and he will wipe every tear away from our eye and there'll be no more sin and no more sickness and no more sorrow. The Bible says when he tabernacles with us, those former things will have passed away. There's coming a day when he tabernacles with us. But here, John says he dwelt with us. Now here's what he said. And we saw his glory. And we saw his glory. He dwelt with us and we saw him. That's what he says. We saw his glory. There's two meanings to that. Generally speaking, it is speaking of humanity. In Jesus, he comes and he dwells with us. In Jesus, he dwells in the midst of humanity. He is in the midst of people. And so in a general sense, he has come and he's in the midst of people and people can see him. But I want to tell you there's a specific sense to the word as well. And it is John himself. You see, John can say we beheld him. We saw him. He came and he tabernacled with us. He was with us and we beheld his glory. This is talking specifically about the person of John. Here's what John says. I saw his glory. I saw his glory. Now, can you imagine what that includes? Can you imagine what he saw? Listen, can you imagine what John saw? He's a flesh and blood person like us. And yet Jesus came and and he walked with him and he talked with him. They traveled together for those years and he saw his glory. He beheld his glory. Can you imagine what he saw? You see, here's what the testimony of Scripture is. 
One day he was out with John the testifier, John the Baptist. John is baptizing there a baptism of repentance. And one day John the testifier, John the Baptist looks up and he sees somebody walk over the hill and guess who's there? The apostle John is and guess what he hears John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He was there. He was there. I don't know if somebody's coming up out of the water. I don't know if it's splashing and falling back down. There he is. Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb we've been waiting on our hope which taketh away the sins of the world. Did you know John was there a little bit longer, a little bit after that at a wedding party in Cana? I don't know if he knew what he was getting into. He thought we're going to a wedding. He goes to the wedding. I don't know if he wanted to go to the wedding. He goes to the wedding and they're there at this, at this fine event, this wedding. And, and one of the servants comes and John is there and somebody says, the wine has run out. A terrible debacle. And did you know this? John says he heard Jesus say to the servant, fill the pots with water. Fill the pots with water and he turns the water into wine and the, the host there is blown away. And the Bible says there, and guess what it did? It manifests his glory. It made known his glory. John was there. Did you know John was with Jesus? And they're traveling along and they decide they're going to go up north. And Jesus doesn't take the normal way. He doesn't go around Samaria. He decides he's going to go through it. And John's with him, and he can't understand. He's probably not appreciative of that, but he, he goes with him, and they make their way through Samaria. I don't know what we're doing, but I'm going to go with him. And they get there, and they, they get halfway there, and they stop there, and there's the well. And Jesus says, why don't you all go into town and get some food? He's in the group that goes into town to get the food. That's what the Bible says. He's in the group that goes in to get the food, and when he comes back from getting the food, he finds a woman there, and her pot is abandoned, and yet her heart's filled with living water. He was there. He was there. I who speak to you am he, is what Jesus said to her. John was there. Do you know John was there when there was a noble man, a man of means, whose means on this day meant nothing? His son lies and he is dying and his heart is breaking. He loves his son and he can't imagine going on without his son. And his son is in bed and he's dying. And you know what? All the wealth that he's accumulated doesn't mean anything. Won't help him then. His noble status is of no meaning at this point. And his son is dying and his heart is breaking. And he comes to Jesus and says, sir, you could heal him. Jesus doesn't even go. He says, go for your son lives. John was there. He was there one day, and the buzz is growing, and the word is getting out, and the crowds are swelling. John was there, and he was watching the master, listening as he taught, listening to all these things, these people as they draw up, and as the crowd gets big and it gets on toward evening, somebody says, Master, you ought to send them away. Master, there's not food here. Somebody says, Master, where are we to buy bread for all of them? Guess what John hears the master say? Have the people sit down. And the Bible says, the word of God says, and Jesus took the loaves. And having given thanks, he distributed them. And likewise, the fish, listen to this, as much as they wanted. That's what Jesus distributed. John was there and the multitude was fed and they take up 12 baskets. When it's over, John was there. John was there when the word came. Jesus' dear friend had died. He was there. 
He was there when they made the journey there, and then his other friends were there. They were, they were brokenhearted. Master, if you'd have been here, he'd have been alive still. He's there, and he sees them as they're stunned. And, and John, listen, this apostle John, he beheld the glory of God. Listen, this John saw the tears fall down the face of Jesus, and he penned in Scripture, Jesus wept. John overhears that day. Jesus leans in and he says this. And I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Listen, believer, that's our promise. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He says, do you believe this? And after that, he hears him say, Lazarus, come forth. And his friend comes forth. It was John, this John. When his own heart was breaking, when he feels the weight of what is happening there in that last week, it is this John that hears Jesus say, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, John, there you may be also. Oh, the glory that he beheld. Can you imagine the glory that he beheld? He saw Jesus, God in flesh, the glory that he beheld. But I want to tell you something tonight. He says in his book, if I wrote them down, there wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be room enough to write them down. But I want to tell you something tonight. One event trumped them all. You see, John was there when they crucified our Lord. John was there and he heard the hammers that hit the nail. He heard the nails as they were driven down through the, through the flesh of our, of our Savior Jesus. He's, he saw the anguish there in his face. He saw the anguish when they stood that cross up and it dropped into the hole and our Savior hangs in agony. He saw the blood run out. He was there as he died in the place of sinners, in my place, in John's place. He was there as he died. We come along today and sing, were you there? Were you there? Listen, John was there. He was there. But I want to tell you this. He was also there when the grave was empty. And John is there and he hears the testimony. He is not here for he is risen. He peers in and he looks in and the grave is empty. Why look for the living among the dead? John knows it's empty. He's not here. Oh, the glory that he beheld. Oh, the glory that he saw. He says, glory is of only begotten of the Father. I'm going to clean up one word for you. It's the word begotten. It doesn't mean born of the Father or created from the Father. He's not by the Father. He's eternal and co-equal with the Father. He's already made us clear of that. It means monogenes. Here's what it means. One and only. That's what it translates. One of a kind. I saw his glory. I saw his glory here and I saw it at the wedding. 
I saw his glory at the nobleman's son as he ran home and his son was alive. I saw his glory at the resurrection and it was the glory of the one and only that is fully God and fully man. I saw the one and only monogenes. I saw his glory. And the last of the verse says this, full of grace and truth. Full of means the fullness of, the full expression of. It literally means this, all of it. All of it, the fullness of. He says, full of grace and truth. Now I want you to see this. We're about to end. I saw, behold, we did his glory. And in that glory, we saw it was full of grace and truth. I want you to see this this evening. Those are the twin towers of our gospel. Those are the two towers that make up the gospel of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And John says here in Jesus, the word that is in flesh, we find the fullness of grace. Now what that means is we find the totality of grace. In Jesus is all grace. All grace that has ever been known. All grace that has ever been mustered. All the grace of a God that is infinite in grace. All the grace of a God that is limitless in grace. And grace upon grace. All grace is known in Jesus. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Listen, in the, in the Savior Jesus, there is the totality, all of grace in the person of Jesus. But not just grace. Equally so, truth. You see, there's the other tower of our gospel. The, in Jesus, there's the fullness of truth, the, the totality of truth. If there is any truth, in fact, all truth, the truth of a God that is perfect and limitless and infinite in truth is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is truth, and there he stands in human flesh, the Word incarnate, and there is all glory because the truth is incarnate and truth is revealed, and in truth we're saved, and Jesus stands the glory of truth. And then, here's where it becomes us. And then, praise the Lord, in the fullness of grace and in the fullness of truth, and only in them, we have our salvation. Do you see what we behold? Only in the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth in Jesus incarnate do we find the hope for sinners. Praise the Lord in them. We today behold the glory of God. Let me make this simple for you. If you want to see the glory of God, look to Jesus. There's the glory of God. And the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of only begotten from the Father, the one and only, full of grace and truth. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a Savior. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we praise you tonight. We thank you tonight. 
I'm so thankful that we see, we behold in Jesus the grace and the truth by which we're saved, the grace that exceeds our greatest sin, the grace that is greater than all the filth and the garbage we muster up, and the truth that sets us free, the truth of a risen, resurrected Savior, a God great in compassion. Lord, I'm thankful in Jesus we find grace and truth. Lord, I pray for some that are listening tonight that don't know you. I pray that tonight in, in the preaching of this word, this gospel, they would find hope and peace, reconciliation, renewal, the forgiveness of sin, the righteousness of Jesus, and the incarnate word, our Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you've spoken. I know you have. Pray that this, this message would change the hearts of men. I know you tell us the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. I pray now that it would bear its fruit. And I pray if there's one that is here in this room or listening somewhere else, that tonight, if they don't know you, that today, this evening, will be the day of their salvation to the glory of Christ. Lord, I pray for us here that are believers that do know you. I pray that in the hearing of your word, the, the reminder of our Savior, Lord, that we are enamored, that we are astounded. And I pray, Lord, we can't go back to living the same as we came in this room. Let it change our priorities. Let it change our minds. Let it change our language. Let it change our relationships. Let it make us bold to proclaim the truth to a lost and dying world. Lord, we're thankful. We praise you. We worship you. Submit this to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, again, we're going to end our service as we do every service that we have with a chance to respond to the truth of the gospel. And I want to tell you, I say this is the most important time. It's the most important time. The time to respond to the truth of God's grace extended to us as sinners. We have sinned. We've earned a punishment death. We've done it. I did it. You did it. But our God is gracious and he's kind and he's compassionate. He loves us. He sees the state that we exist in, separation and death. He sends his only begotten son, the one and only. He comes and lives a life with no sin. And because he doesn't sin, he goes in our stead, our place, to the cross of Calvary. And there, that terrible, that terrible fate, that terrible death was my death, your death. He does it to pay for my sin, your sin. With the penalty paid, he's put in a grave. And three days later on Easter Sunday morning, he walks out of that grave. He is alive and he's victorious. He stands as the risen lamb. The Bible says if you'll believe that, not do a bunch of things, not impress somebody, not go through a council that checks off a bunch of lists. If you'll trust in the Lord, believing for your salvation, you shall be saved. What good news that is. If that's you tonight and you've never done that, settle that tonight. If you've never done that, settle that tonight. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, but you've never fought in believer's baptism, I want to give you a chance to say, I want to be obedient. I want, I want the world to see a testimony of what I believe of Christ. If you're here and you've never done that, in just a moment you come and we'll set a date. It'll be a great day of celebration, signifying, symbolizing what we believe of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it and you believe God has led you here, you come and we'll uphold this word. We'll preach this gospel, exalting this Savior until Jesus comes again. If God's led you to do that, you do that as well. Maybe in this Wednesday night, you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. The Bible says nothing's too big, nothing too small. We do not have to come in timidity. We can come in boldness because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So during this time, if you want to come pray to an altar, pray with me. You come on. We're going to stand and sing as we sing. If you have a decision to make, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here.